Hello and welcome to the strolling studio of No Fixed Addressed. This is Josh here on Geocaching Scripture, and I am here in the morning. It is the sun is barely rising, and typical uh, Wisconsin morning, it's like cold, 60 to 50 degrees or something. So that's fantastic. So, um, like I said, I broadcast from the strolling studio of No Fixed Address, meaning I don't know where I'll set up. Uh, it's wherever I can hide from my kids. And this morning they're asleep. And I don't want to wake them up because I don't want to deal with them for another hour. So um, I'm in my car with a bunch of condensation and a little Santa Claus mug. And life is good. Um, so, geocaching scripture. Geocaching is this, what is it is? It's a rarefied sport hobby. And I used to say that a lot. That's a really strong word for it. It's like a dork hobby. Um, it's a treasure hunting game where you find these little treasures uh, in in various places. Uh, I've found them in inside statues and under trees and in brick walls. And they're just, you look up the coordinates for it and you have fun finding it. And there's never too much to it, but it's just a small treasure that puts the dimension and beauty back into a walk that might be familiar. And uh, and as I've gotten older, my approach to scripture is kind of that way, unfortunately, because I've grown up in the church very much well in the folds of uh, the born-again church movement. And scripture is almost over-familiar, and it's such a familiar walk to me that I don't notice what's really around and the depth of what's really around. So I found these little geocaches in scripture, these little uh, places of language, history, cultural situation, that kind of thing that help us to see the dimension that's already there. So if you got like 10 minutes or so, I'd like to share another one with you. This morning I want to start with a story. I was 22 years old. I was in college and I was averaging like an existential crisis once a semester, and usually they kind of went away. You know, I would I would write some really bad poetry, and I would listen to some, you know, sort of dark '90s heroin rock, and then they would they would drift off on their own, or you know, I'd start dating somebody or whatever, and they'd go away. This one wouldn't leave, and I ended up um, I was I was in a class where we were studying religion by studying the enemies of religion and I had never really encountered anything like that before so we're studying Nietzsche, Feuerbach, Freud, Marx and all of them who turned out to be opponents that were a little too worthy for me um, as an evangelical kid who'd been raised and weaned on some of our own insular insular thinking. Um, you know I ventured out as far as reading Josh McDowell and that was about it um, and so I ended up having a sort of crisis, existential crisis of doubt. I went to live at Labrie Fellowship, which is uh, the ministry Francis Schaeffer started in Switzerland, and I didn't get to go to the cool Switzerland version. I went to the Massachusetts version, and I lived in this big, drafty sort of Massachusetts house for a few months and studied faith um, with the folks that were there um, who were uh, authors and speakers and that kind of people and uh and i would sit in front of the fireplace and and read big books and listen to lectures on tape and cd and that kind of thing ah, anyway tape and cd ask your parents 
one of the lectures I remember reading, uh, which was weird, and it was kind of in my... I was looking out there for, you know, okay, what is it that stands up against faith? Um, and one of the ones I read was Bertrand Russell, uh, and it was a short essay called Why I Am Not a Christian. Bertrand Russell was a, a part of, like, the particularly arrogant uh, atheist school in uh, from about 100 years ago. And he wrote a whole book, I guess, that's called Why I'm Not a Christian. But what I got was the lecture, which I think was a Harvard lecture or something. And it was, uh, it was so silly. That was kind of a helpful turning point in my, in my, my doubt process of my faith. Um, his proofs for not being a Christian were so dumb that, um, I just couldn't, you know, it kind of helped me know, okay, all right, these guys might not have done their homework either. <laughs> one of the one of the things I ran into in his essay was he had all these things about Jesus that, you know, well, if Jesus was perfect then, or he was all-knowing, then this wouldn't have happened, and this wouldn't have happened. And one of the things he said was, if Jesus was perfectly kind, he wouldn't have put in demons and pigs, because what did the pigs do, man? Yeah, you don't want to be cruel to animals, but I that seems to really miss the point. Um, and one of the things he said was, the reason I think Jesus is not all-knowing is because he obviously thought that he was coming back in his lifetime. He was gonna, or he was going to come back in a short period of time, and he was wrong. Right, he was going to return in a short period of time. And one of the things he quotes to prove that, quote-unquote, was Matthew verses six or Matthew sixteen verse twenty seven, and Jesus says, "For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done." Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. And you know, you had Bertrand Russell like thinking, "I've I've got them now," you know, "I've got them now. I've taken them down. I've got them off of the knees. Triumph, hail Britannia!" Christianity is vanquished, and really, no. So, what's important to know about this little tiny geocache here, this this thing that's that's here? It it has spawned a lot of conversation. Jesus says nobody's going to die, or there are people here who won't die before they see me come into my kingdom. And you're thinking, oh man, was Jesus talking about his uh, return? In which case, yeah, all the people he were talking to were dead. That was like 10 centuries, 20 centuries ago. Um, and unless there's like some really old guy like walking around Israel right now, well, there are a lot of old guys, but not that old. Um, they There are definitely people who have died before they see Jesus come into his kingdom. And there's a lot of speculation on what Jesus is talking about. One of the things that I thought was interesting was there was a thing where Jesus says, um, you know, actually it's a different verse, but it's similar where he sees... I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass away before the Son of Man come, comes into his kingdom. And the word that he uses there for generation is actually uh, also a cognate for race. So it's almost like the, the race of Israel or the house of Israel or the nation of Israel will not pass away before Jesus comes into his kingdom. In which case, you know, it, it helps to relieve the tension there. But it's also not the case. 
And the tension there is um, a straw man. It's a red herring. Uh, it's not a real thing. What Jesus is talking about is Daniel chapter 7. So in Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, Daniel is having a, a terrifying vision of the end of, of some awful, evil empires, which he pictures as beasts, which is an important thing to know uh, about the genre of the apocalyptic, which we've done a few episodes on that. Um, and the person that vanquishes these beasts that God puts in charge over them is this mysterious son of man character. Daniel chapter 7 verse 13. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that should not be destroyed. So there's this son of man character who appears and who sits at the right hand of the Ancient of Days, sits at the right hand of God. In the Jewish understanding, there was nobody sitting at the right hand of God. God was God, and he ruled everything. Um, but what we have here is this son of man character who is on equal footing with God. And that didn't make sense um, in, the, in the Hebrew understanding. And it really didn't make sense until Jesus fully articulated it using his favorite title for himself, son of man, which he uses many, many times throughout the Gospels, and which picks up on this image in Daniel 7, in which Jesus uses this image or these references several times. You shall see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. You shall see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. Um, and he uses the the reference appears several times in Ezekiel. Um, Jesus takes that and applies it to himself. So the Son of Man image and the kingdom imagery here is talking about Jesus' kingdom that came when Jesus came. Right? Jesus' kingdom that came at Jesus' resurrection. And that right now we live in the already but not yet. We live in the time between the times where Jesus' kingdom is here but not all the way here. Right? Jesus' kingdom is there at the resurrection. So when Jesus says, there are some among you here who will not die before you see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom, that's what he means. Sorry, Bertrand Russell. Um, sorry to several atheists who think they have a knockdown, dragged out proof that Christianity is bump. It's just not the case. So do your homework. Um, and know that this that Jesus talks about the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom that started at the resurrection. And the, the hope for us is that the kingdom work is done, that victory is imminent, but it's not all the way here. That the victory is won and that Jesus will return. And we are waiting. We are like the POWs in a prison camp who have heard of the victory on the front.
and are waiting for liberation. That's where we are now. And that's what it means to say that the king, the son of man, have come, has come into his kingdom. In this world, you will have trouble, but be at peace. I have overcome the world. Victory is eminent. Victory is already here, but not yet. And that to us is a great hope. That this world is a passing shadow. It's very real. Sorry to my Buddhist friends. It's very real. You ever step on a Lego in the dark? It's very real. But it is not the end of the story. It is not the final say. The kingdom, the Son of Man has already come into his kingdom. The Son of Man is here. Strengthening, comforting, guiding. And when the Son of Man comes all the way into his kingdom. We will be ready. Pax Humana. Cheers.